Acts 1, Part 4, from the sermon series, Acts of the Holy Spirit, spoken by Pastor Peter on. Last Sunday, uh, Doug brought us Pentecost. And if you know a little bit about the story, we've just launched this series. It's going to take about a year for us to get through the entire book of Acts. That Jesus tells the disciples that they are to wait for the Holy Spirit so that they can do their ministry. He tells them, don't even dare think that you can go out and do ministry without the Holy Spirit. So he just says, wait. And so they were waiting patiently. And last week, Doug shares with us the chapter in the beginning of chapter two, where Pentecost happens, where there is this baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the disciples are overwhelmed. Something supernatural is happening to them. And they begin to start speaking in different languages. Something unexplainable is happening to them. And as a result of that, the unexplainable begins to happen. And as people hear and they, they sort of experience the supernatural, they view it and they witness it, they come to the conclusion of that these disciples are probably drunk. I feel like human beings, when we encounter an unexplainable situation, we always try to explain it. And our conclusions are usually really bad. And so they say they're drunk. And so Peter goes into this discourse saying that they're not drunk. In fact, he explains what the Holy Spirit is doing and how this has been a prophetic sort of an affirmation of a prophecy that was given to the prophet Joel. And that was in the beginning of chapter 2. And then in the second portion of the chapter, which we're going to be focusing on today, is the passage in which Peter is now teaching these people that are listening and experiencing what has happened, how they can be filled with the Holy Spirit. He goes into this teaching and and helping them to understand that how they can be filled by the Holy Spirit. And so I ask you this morning, on a kind of brisk morning, do you long to be filled with the Holy Spirit today? Is that something that you actually think a lot about? In fact, before you leave the doors every day, for whatever reason why you do that, do you pray and say, God, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Would you? Peter goes into a discourse and he teaches them how they can do that. You see, I think if you're anything like me, sometimes we grew up in traditions where we never really taught that. And so as a result of it, a lot of us, we kind of exist our lives in such a way where we're living it, where we're not really asking God to fill us with the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you, you're experiencing that. You pray every day before you leave your home that God would fill you with the Holy Spirit. And that is a beautiful thing because you've tapped into something that is so wonderful and awesome. But a lot of us, many times, we don't even ask God to fill us with the Holy Spirit. And what we've learned so far since last week about the Holy Spirit is really two key things about the Holy Spirit. That when God fills you with the Holy Spirit, these two things that we learn about the Holy Spirit begins to happen in our lives. The first thing that we've learned about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is powerful. The Holy Spirit is powerful, right? Now, the, when you look at Acts, Uh, chapter 2, it describes the Holy Spirit, this Pentecost experience, as a violent wind and tongues of fire. Now, I know for a lot of you, when you think about the Holy Spirit's power, you kind of think of it as violent winds and tongues of fire. You're thinking, that's the last thing I want to happen in my life. I don't want to experience anything violent from God. I just want to experience love, love, love. And I think, you know, really, there's a bit of hyperbole here, perhaps, that Luke is using here. But really, when the Holy Spirit fills you with the very power of God, The essence of God's power, you have to know, isn't like these radical, supernatural, like, you know, superhero type of powers that you see. At the very heart of God's power, the very DNA of his power is his love. 
And when God fills you with his power, when he fills you with the Holy Spirit, you embrace the power where God will give you the ability to love people, especially those that you might consider to be quite unlovable today. It's a wonderful thing. It really is. Because I don't know about you, but there are moments in my own life where I feel like I'm quite unlovable. And, uh, and it's amazing to know that God still loves me. And when I encounter that, there's a moment in my own life where I'm always encouraged to do my best to try to love other people, especially those that might have particularly wronged me. That's God's power. So when the Holy Spirit fills you, he fills you with this power to love, to grow in your deeper understanding of the brokenness of humanity so that you and I can grow in greater love for them. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And when you and I are filled by the Holy Spirit, we have that power. The other thing that the Holy Spirit gives us when we're filled that we've learned even last week is that we have wisdom. We have this knowledge. Now, the disciples gained the supernatural knowledge of languages that they were never taught. They were speaking in all these foreign languages, and the Holy Spirit endowed them with that kind of wisdom and knowledge. So when the Holy Spirit fills you and me with himself, he blesses us with power, but he also gives us wisdom. How many of you in this room could use a little bit of wisdom today? I could use a whole lot of wisdom because, man, oh, Gosh, it's, it's embarrassing. If you look at me sometimes, see how I live? It's embarrassing how I make the same mistakes over and over and over again. And I just need a little bit more of wisdom. And man, if I didn't have the Holy Spirit in me, goodness gracious, the kind of mistakes that I'd be making, I'd be making even more than I've made today up until this point in my life. But wisdom, that the Holy Spirit will give you God's wisdom. Think about the choices that we can make that will just save us from a lot of things that we don't have to deal with in our lives if we just embody the very wisdom of God in our lives. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we have God's power, but we have his wisdom. Think about how lives would change. Now, a lot, some of you are living under, under that direction regularly every day, and you see the blessings and the benefits of what happens in your life when you are filled by the Spirit because God gives you his wisdom and his power to love. But for many of us in this room, perhaps, it's something we don't really think much about, and nor do we really desire. And you don't know that perhaps it has the ability to save your life. My father passed away uh, in uh, November 21st. It'll be the not a celebration, but a remembering of the three years uh, that he passed away. And uh, he died of Parkinson's disease. And uh, that Parkinson's disease really was accelerated when he was in his early 70s. My mom was, was driving, and they got into a, a pretty bad car accident. Uh, my father never wore a seatbelt. He hit his head on the windshield, and there was hemorrhaging on his brain, and as a result, the Parkinson's disease just became a very violent thing in his life to the point where he was not able to walk properly, and he struggled a lot physically as a result of it. And so for eight years, he lived in a nursing home as a result of that. And uh, my father was like a man, we used to say that he's got nine lives because, I mean, he got into multiple car accidents in his earlier years. He would destroy the cars, never wear a seatbelt, but he'd be fine. And we're just like, how do you survive this? And you would think after getting to several car accidents, you would think to put on a seatbelt because it could save your life. And make no mistake about it, my father would still be alive today if he had his seatbelt on that time when he got into that accident with my mom. He would still be alive today but he didn't put on that seat. It was right there. It was right there. He didn't just think to just put it on when he went with my mother to a certain place to go meet up with their friends. He never thought to do that because it just has become such a habit for him to never to put on a seatbelt, even though it runs a great risk. 
I think a lot of us are kind of like that. God gives us the ability to be filled with the Holy Spirit today, but for a lot of us, like my dad, we don't even pay attention to it. We don't really care because there's been such a habitual rhythm in our lives, even spiritually, where we don't even ask God to fill us with the Holy Spirit. And today, if you will just listen to the word of God, and if you will pay attention to what Peter wants to share with you today, that we're going to learn. It's nothing, it's nothing that's going to transform your world. It's nothing that's going to be ground shaking. But Peter is going to teach us how we can be filled with the Holy Spirit so that it can save our lives, at, at least at a spiritual level. So we don't have to make decisions that we're going to end up regretting deeply, that we can walk and function in life with the power of God, but also his wisdom. And so I ask you today, do you long to be filled with the Holy Spirit? My hope and my prayer is that you're going to say yes today. So let's learn what Peter teaches us and how we can do that. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 22 and following. We have a lot of scripture here, so just kind of stay with me on this. Peter's addressing the crowd. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your holy one see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. And his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and, and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their numbers that day. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. So God, we come to you right now. We thank you for this text. Thank you for what's happening in the Apostle Peter's life here in Acts chapter two and how he helps us to understand how we can be filled with the spirit today. God, I pray for everyone in this room and everyone in the nursery who's watching, who has a relationship with you and believes in you. God, I pray that you'll help them to fall in love with the Holy Spirit today, so much so, God, that they would pray every day that they would be filled by him daily. 
And so, God, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts, God, I pray that it will indeed be pleasing unto you. And all of God's people said, amen. The Holy Spirit, we've learned so far, and we're going to learn a lot more about the Holy Spirit in the next year, is that we've learned that the Holy Spirit is powerful, and the Holy Spirit is God's wisdom, his knowledge. And so when we are filled by the Holy Spirit, we gain God's power, and we also gain God's wisdom. And that it's going to better help us to inform us to make great, better choices. Now, listen, just because you, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it doesn't mean you're, going to make, you're never going to make bad choices. No, you will, because we're all broken. But when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you know what the cool thing about those bad choices are? God has an amazing way of redeeming them. And that's the beautiful thing about this. And so how can we be filled with the Holy Spirit? What are the things that Peter teaches us here? There are three things. The first is this. We're filled by the Holy Spirit when we repent. You and I are filled by the Holy Spirit when we repent. Verse 38, Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repentance in its definition, and I've shared this with you many times, is a 180 degree turn from your sins. Meaning you are turning from your sins and you are walking the opposite direction towards Jesus. That is what true repentance is. That repentance is about you turning to that place and walking the opposite direction. I don't know about you, but without repentance, I would not be able to stand here before you today. That if I didn't have to, if I didn't have to, if, 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 I didn't, if God didn't give me the opportunity to repent daily, I could never stand here before you. It would be absolutely impossible because I have come to the conclusion that if my sinful nature is just left to where it is today, it has the capacity to destroy everything that is good in my life. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that if your sinful nature is not checked and if it doesn't get an opportunity to be washed with the very grace and mercy of God's love upon your life, do you believe it has the capacity to destroy everything that is good in your life? It will. Everything that's good. And for us as a Christian, the good news is that we don't have to let our sinful nature destroy us. We don't have to let our sinful nature destroy our family. We can go to God. And we can turn 180 degrees from it and walk towards him. And he embraces us with his love. He doesn't just smack you in the head and say, what's wrong with you? Again? Again? Are you kidding me? He embraces you with his love. And says, come. My mercy is good for you today. Man, I'm just so broken at times. I am so broken. Yesterday, I was at my son's baseball game. Another baseball story. I have come to the place where if he strikes out, I'm okay with it. If he even doesn't pitch well, I'm okay with it. But when you make a mistake, just because mentally you're not fully awake, man, it does something to me. You know what he did yesterday? He walked, was on first base, and he's taking a lead from first base. First base, he takes a lead. He's got to be careful because the pitcher could throw and try to tag him out, right? They do that. Pitchers do that all the time. The pitcher threw the ball. He didn't even attempt to go back. He just stood there, and the first baseman just tagged him out. And I'm thinking, what are you doing? Where is your mind today? What are you doing? Why would you do it? Like, that to me is inexcusable, absolutely inexcusable. You can strike out. That's fine. You can throw bad pitches and walk people. I'm okay with that. But that, at least try to get back to first. He just stood there. 
and he just tagged them out. And I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And then something clicked in me that was evil and dark. And perfectionist Peter on just came out. And when I got home, I had to give him an earful of what I thought was horrible. He played a pretty decent game, made some really good plays as well. Had a really great critical hit in the last inning. But it didn't matter to me. I said, it's still one of the worst games you've ever played because you did not pay attention to the pitcher. Man, my little boy cried last night. <laughs> Don't make me feel worse than it already is, okay? There's something wrong with me. And if I don't repent, my sinful nature will destroy everything that's good in my life. I hope you realize that about yourself today. Because if you don't, then you're playing into the devil's hands. Peter says when you repent, you're filled with the Spirit. Repentance at the end of the day, Metro, if you really want to repent, you know the most important way to repent is not just to go to your room and quietly say, God, forgive me for what I just did. You need to confess your sins to someone that's present. Now, today I've confessed my sins to all of you. All right, now I don't ever recommend you doing that. I really don't. One or two people in your life that will walk with you, that you get to sit down and you get to confess your sins to someone. That when you're able to put, you know, our repentance needs to have action. It cannot just be verbal. I think the Catholics have it right, guys. That they realize that our sinful nature can be so evil and so dark that they require their people that if you want forgiveness of your sin, you got to go to a priest and actually confess it. They have it right. And we as Protestants, we just say, nah, just go to your room and just ask God to forgive you. But you know, Jesus promises it, and I say this every Sunday, but when he says that if you really want me to be present anywhere, it always has to be in the presence of someone else. Because he says, when two or more are gathered in my name, I will be there, right? I will be there. When two or more are gathered in my name, I will be there. And so if you really want to experience God's forgiveness, if you want to take a bath in his grace and his mercy for your life, you should be sharing that with someone else. Now, why? Why do we do that? Because Jesus is really there, and you'll experience the confession of his sins. But James 5.16 gives us a deeper understanding of why it is so important to be confessing our sins to one another. Look at what he says in James 5.16. He says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. That's why you do it. And the reason why you keep doing it is because before... You think about doing it again, you know you got to share it with somebody. And you'll think twice about doing it because you know that there's consequences. And the best part of it is that there's something spiritual that happens and holy that happens in your life when you don't have any secrets, when you're fully known by God and even by a few people in your life. There is something so sacred that happens to your life when you're fully known. Peter says when you repent like that, you're going to be filled with the very power of God and his wisdom. Amen?
we need to get to repenting the way God wants us to. The second thing, we're filled by the Holy Spirit when we are baptized, all right? Repent and then baptize. I'm gonna go through this really quick. Verse 38 again. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Baptism. The, uh, Luke is talking about water baptism here, not necessarily baptism of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about that Christians, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have to have taken a step in your life where you have been baptized in water. Now, baptism is not necessary for your salvation. It's not, all right? But it is critical for your spiritual formation. Why? Because when you and I are baptized in water, we are making a public statement that we believe in Jesus Christ, that we've repented of our sins, and we acknowledge that he is our Lord. And we need to make that public confession if we've never done that before, all right? Every New Testament Christian was baptized in water. Everyone. And so if you're here today and you've never been baptized in water, you can be. November 18th, right here at this church, Thanksgiving Sunday, we would encourage you to sign up for that and to take this important step because it is this recognition that you see Jesus Christ as your Lord, that you've repented of your sins and you're making that public declaration. It is what Paul says, an opportunity for you to be filled with the very Holy Spirit himself. I need to just kind of help you to understand one thing theologically because I think sometimes we grew, some of us grew up in maybe charismatic traditions and we were taught that, you know, you should pray that God would baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Theologically, that is actually a, quite an incorrect statement because every single one of us, when we have said yes to Jesus for the very first time, we are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 12. He said, we've all been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, this idea of having the Spirit continuing to work in your life is this idea of being filled by the Spirit, right? Paul says in Ephesians 5.18, he says, don't be filled with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's in the indicative clause, which is a command, that you and I are to constantly ask God to fill us with the Holy Spirit. So that's an important distinction for you to know. So it's not about you being baptized by the Holy Spirit. You've already been baptized by the Holy Spirit. If you've given your life to Jesus and you believe in him, it's about you just asking God to continue to fill you with the Holy Spirit. And what Jesus is talking about here in, in, in Acts chapter two, he's talking about not you embodying some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that Pastor Doug talked about last Sunday about prophecy, gift of tongues and other things like service and faith and different things like that. No, it's just the Spirit himself filling you up with himself. That's what he's talking about. And then as you are filled with the Spirit regularly, then what begins to happen is that he begins to, so, sort of manifestations of these spiritual gifts begin to start to grow in your life because you're filled with the Spirit. It just happens that way. And it's a beautiful thing, all right? Now, if you've already been baptized in water, do you need to be baptized again? Absolutely not. Do not do that. Embrace the sacrament of baptism because it's so sacred of what happened. Even if your parents baptized you as a little baby, and I know sometimes you're like, well, I was baptized as a baby. I don't want to be baptized. I want to be baptized as an adult. No, no, no. Honor the sacrament. Like the Holy Spirit was there with you as a little baby and with your parents. And what we want to encourage you then is if you've never taken a confirmation class, because that's really like you dedicating your faith and reconfirming your faith in God, I wanna encourage you to make sure you sign up for the confirmation class that Pastor Ancy and some of our staff are gonna be leading. It's a four week foundations of like spirituality class that I wanna encourage you to make sure you sign up for and take. 
And she actually said she'll open up to anyone else who just wants to learn some of the foundations to the spiritual life, okay? But don't get rebaptized. That's not a biblical thing that you should do. Nobody in the Bible got rebaptized in water. Nobody, all right? So baptism, repentance, baptism fills us with the Holy Spirit. And then the very last thing, we're filled by the Holy Spirit when we read, listen, and speak God's words. When we read, when we listen, and we speak God's word. When you look at verses 25 to 37, we're running out of time, so I'm not going to read it, but 25 to 37, you'll find that Peter goes into this amazing discourse of, just, of, of the scripture and going deep into it. We know that Peter and the disciples spent their lives with Jesus reading and listening to the word of God. Now, I am going to be honest. I think we live in a time and age where reading the Bible is a challenge. And I think a lot of you who are Christians, you know it's important to read the Bible. You do. And some of you do it again regularly. And I applaud you for that because you are really in the minority, I believe, in the church today. So many of us struggle to read the word of God. And it's not because you're evil. Um, it's not because of any of that stuff. But I think one of the major reasons why we struggle to read, if I can just offer a little understanding of why we find you know, reading the Bible, such a, like a Herculean challenge. It's a few things. I think the first thing is that um, we're reading it and we're not listening at the same time. There's a beautiful thing that when you read the Bible and you listen to it audially, that psychologists called it, um, what do they call it? They called it, a, well, let me see here, auditory discrimination. All right, auditory discrimination, meaning that as you're reading the words and you're actually hearing it audibly, they said that you, it helps you to focus and concentrate on it so you can learn so much better. I think that's a key reason why for a lot of us, maybe we've been missing it, right? We've been missing the scriptures because we're not reading and listening to it at the same time, right? And the other thing, I think why the Bible has been such a challenge for us is because we have taught you to read it by yourself. And the Bible was never meant for us to read it by ourselves. Now, it's great that we have the ability to read it on our own, because back in the biblical times, the population was illiterate, so they couldn't read the scripture. So they had to gather in groups and listen to the word of God. And so I think because every single one of us could read, we say, you know what, I'm just going to read alone. And it's good to read the Bible alone. It is. But it's just as important, if not more important, to read it in community with other people. Sitting down reading the scripture, listening to it being spoken together as a community. When we do that, I guarantee you the Bible comes alive and it becomes a different reality for you. And you'll learn because you'll learn more about this God because do you believe the Bible is God's word? Can I get an amen for that? You all believe the Bible is God's word. I know every single one of you believe that. And the Bible calls the Bible food, spiritual food, right? And when you think about this, when you think about physical food, how many of you really like eating by yourselves? Very few of you will. Some of you, you do because you have to. But food was always meant for you to eat it with someone else. Now, I'm an introvert. I really am. But when it comes to eating, I want to eat with somebody. I don't want to eat by myself. I mean, I do it sometimes. But I'd rather sit down with somebody and eat because food was meant for you to eat it with somebody else. There's a sharing component to it. Well, then if the Bible is our spiritual food, why are we just reading it by ourselves? Perhaps maybe the big challenge that we experience, the obstacle that we experience with the Bible is because we're not eating the spiritual food together. We're not sharing it together. And that's what God wants from you. He wants you to eat and share the food 
together. Can we just watch this clip? Can we cue it up and watch this little clip? I found this great clip online. Awesome. Check it out. I was reading the Bible, which, you know, is kind of hard to do, but I came across this verse that says, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and teaching. Yeah, this is in Paul's letter to Timothy, who's a young pastor, and he's telling him about ways that he can keep his church community engaged with scripture. Okay, so preaching the Bible, I get. Teaching from the Bible, I get that too. But what about this reading scripture together thing? Is that something I'm supposed to care about? Why did Paul think it was so important? Oh man, for Paul, this was a really significant practice for the people of God. Think all the way back to Mount Sinai, where the Israelites were just rescued from Egypt. They're no longer slaves, and they need a new identity, a new story to live by. And so Moses, he gathers the people together, and he reads the scriptures aloud. He reminds them of where they came from, who they are, and the new future that they're called to live for. This was the first public reading of scripture in the Bible. Yeah, and it didn't stop there. When the people finally got into the land, they did it again. Joshua pulled the people together, and they all listened to the scriptures read aloud so they could remember where they came from and how they could keep living as a part of this new story. So this is something they did all the time then? Well, actually, no. After Joshua died, we don't have any more stories of the people coming together to hear God's word. Instead, the people forgot their story and a whole generation arose that didn't know their God or what God had done for them. But then, centuries later, a king named Josiah rediscovered the scriptures, and he was so excited that he called Israel to begin this practice once again. It sparked a renewal movement. That is, until the people forgot once more, and they ended up in exile. And so this is why, when Ezra and Nehemiah came back from the exile, they needed to remind the people who they are and how they are to live. So this is a powerful practice. Yeah, in fact, reading scripture together became a core part of Jewish life. It was done every week as they gathered in synagogue. Jesus himself participated in this practice. He even launched his mission during the weekly reading of the scriptures. He read from the scroll of Isaiah, and then he told everyone these words were about him. And that brings us all the way back to the early church where Paul told Timothy to keep this practice going to immerse the whole community in the story of the scriptures. Okay, but here's the thing. Most people back then didn't know how to read, so they had to do it publicly. But I can read the Bible by myself. Yeah, and you should totally do that. But don't underestimate the power of this ancient practice. Reading the Bible by yourself can be hard. It can be easy to get distracted. But something happens when you hear God's word read aloud and when you're with other people. And besides, it's really easy. You don't need anyone to preach or teach. You just need to listen to the scriptures and then talk about what you've heard. This is what God's people have always done when they enter into new and uncertain times. They remember their story and who they are through the public reading of the scriptures. Hey guys, thanks for watching this Bible Project video. Stop it. <laughs> All right. Um, something happens when you're able to listen to God's word and read it at the same time in community, and you don't need a pastor to interpret it. You don't need it. That's it. And, you know, we do that every Thursdays at 1130 a.m. Um, in our office. We actually feed you physical food, good food, too. And for about an hour, you get to listen to God's word. And uh, I encourage you, if you can make it out, to do it. And, you know, I've been so impacted by this recently because I, I started going back out to the Thursday groups. I realized that a lot of you can because you're working. And so I told David this week that I want to start my own small group this fall. 
and it'll be at my house on Thursday evenings, and we're going to come, we're going to eat together, but then we're going to go downstairs to my basement, and just for 30 minutes, we're going to read an Old Testament passage of Psalms and some New Testament passages, and listen together, and then we're just going to pray for each other, and that's it. I'm not going to talk about it, I'm not going to try to interpret it, none of that stuff, because as long as we listen to God's word, it's God's word. He's speaking to us. In the end, what you find with Peter is that as, as he's reading, as he's in the word, he's so into it that he begins to speak about it. And that's the key thing. You know the spirit is, you are filled with the spirit when you begin to start quoting and you begin to start talking about the Bible in spiritual conversations that you have. You know God's really working in your life when you're going through hardships in your life and you're able to point to certain stories in the scriptures that give you strength to move forward in your life. That's when you know the spirit is alive and well in your life and in my life. In the end, God wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Why? Not just so that he can bless your life, because some of us, we just think about wanting God's blessings. At the end, God wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit so that he can do a fresh work in you so that you can go and be a blessing to other people. That's why he fills you with the Holy Spirit. It's not just so that you can get the job, you can get married, you, you know, you can get out of the trouble that you might be in. No, God fills you with the Holy Spirit at the end because he wants you to be able to learn God's word. He wants you to repent and experience his grace and his mercy and experience this idea of being baptized in God, being filled with the Holy Spirit in that way so that you can go and be a blessing to those that are around you. That's why God fills you with the Holy Spirit and that's why God desires for you to do that. And for Peter, he does exactly that. I mean, you think about this Peter, about what he just did, like probably like 50, 60 days ago. He denied Jesus three times when even Jesus said, you're gonna do it. And what did Peter say? I will die with you, Jesus. I will never deny you. And he does. Jesus calls him Satan at one point in their ministry. But look at Peter now. He's speaking God's word to the people. And that day, 3,000 men came to give their lives to Jesus Christ. Could you imagine how tired he was after that? 3,000 baptisms, water baptism. Man, his arms must have been burning, burning from that, right? Metro, there are so many people in this world that have no hope in life. There are so many people in this world, and young people as well, where they believe suicide is a better option than living. There's so much poverty, so much pain, so much oppression. And just, I just want to say, ladies, we stand with you. And as a man, we may never understand what you go through. But if the statistics are right, a quarter of you have been abused sexually. And we'll never know what that feels like when somebody more powerful than you does that to you. But our commitment, because we're a church of justice, is that we will stand with you and we'll do our best to learn and to grow and to ask the question so that we can actually stand in solidarity with you. There's a world out there that's being destroyed. And there are people waking up daily realizing that there's no hope in life. Why does God want to fill you with the Holy Spirit? Just so that your life can be blessed? No, not just that. It's because there's a whole world out there that's dying and they need Jesus Christ. And if you would be so bold to let the Holy Spirit fill you up as you repent, as you're baptized in water, and as you read and listen and speak of God's word, the world would know that Jesus Christ is truly alive that he truly lives. I've been so impacted by this audio Bible thing these days that I've been listening to it. Um, I go on Thursdays. And um, 
parents, I got the best thing for you to do with your family. Because sometimes as parents, we wonder, you know, what can we do, really, as a family? I got the best thing. You know what you do? Get together with your family every night and listen to one chapter in the Bible together. And the, 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 the audio, don't just listen to any audio Bible, because some of them are really bad. All right, but you need to know that Hollywood got involved in this. Hollywood created an audio Bible called Word of Promise. Richard Dreyfus is in it. He narrates. Jim Caviezel, who plays Jesus in The Passion of the Christ, is Jesus in this Word of Promise. It's absolutely amazing, all right? It's Hollywood level. And just listen to it. And so every night, my kids and I and my wife, you know, kids are just amazing. You tell them you're going to do this. They don't like, oh, why are we doing this? I want to do it. They just said, okay, let's do it. And we listen to one chapter a day together as a family. We're listening to the Gospel of John. And we're going through it one chapter a day. And they're loving it. Christina has a lot of, like, she says Jesus' voice really creeps her out. And I just said, no. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, he's not a people pleaser, right? He just, he's speaking God's word. But hey, we just have some good discussion. But then we pray, and that's all we do. It's one of the most spiritual things that we're doing in our family now. And, um, and I'm just so grateful. But I cannot wait till we get to John 17. I cannot wait. It's my favorite verse in the Bible to listen to. Every time I struggle in my life, I always listen to John 17. I listened to this particular audio. I did it in our prayer group a couple months ago, and I remember just playing it before them, and they were just so deeply impacted by it. And I can't wait for John 17 to be played when we do this as a family. We know, I know something very special and beautiful is going to happen when we do this. We're going to just close today by listening to John 17. I'm going to set this up for you. This is on the eve of Jesus being arrested and he's going to be crucified on the cross. He knows he's going to die and he gives a prayer. He prays to God the Father. It's the most intimate prayer you'll ever see Jesus pray. He prays for himself, he prays for his disciples and then he prays for you and me. And I want you to listen to what he prays for you and me about. The words will be up on the screen so I want you to pay attention to the words as you listen to the very words of Jesus speaking to his father in prayer. Can we get the lights and can we turn this on and just focus on it for the next five minutes? We almost there? Come on, Tim. Here we go. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O oh Father, 
glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you. They have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all mine are yours and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now, I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition. <sighs> that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world, and for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you gave me, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, 
and these have known that you sent me, and I have declared to them your name and will declare it, that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. bow our heads in a word of prayer. I'm going to give you a moment to engage with God at this moment and, um, and go to him because he's just spoken to you. Jesus has prayed a prayer for you today that we would be one as a church because if there's unity here, the world will know that Jesus is real. But the moment that there's division, then what makes us different from the world? Because the world is so divided, isn't it? So the greatest prayer he prayed for us was that we would be one. That's the word of God. And may you just go to him right now. Be one with your father if it's been a while since you have been one with him. Be one with those in your family. Be one with those in this church. Just go to him and then I'll just close this in prayer. Lord, I pray that you would forgive me and forgive our church or the leadership of this church. This is, this is really easy. It's easy to try to encourage folks to get in groups and just listen to your word and read it. But yet we haven't really set it up that way to make it easier for them. So forgive me. Forgive us. And help us, God, to find so much hope, wisdom in your word holding on to it, realizing, God, that it's your word and it's the spiritual food in which we are to eat so that we can grow and be more mature. Because, God, if we want to do things for you and we're not growing and we're still little infants and children, we're still children. And, God, I know you're not into child labor, that you want us to grow and mature to healthy adults. So help us to do that. Thank you, God, that you've taught us how we can be filled with the Holy Spirit that we would repent in the presence of someone and that we experience your forgiveness, that we've never been baptized in water, that we'll take that step. And if we have, may we just constantly pray for the refilling of your spirit upon our lives as we repent and give us a passion to read and listen and speak your words to our own lives and to the lives of others. In your name we pray, amen. There's some next steps I'd love for you to take. Um, quickly, uh, first, I'm committing my life to Jesus for the very first time. If you've never done that, please check that off. We'll make sure we get back to you. Second, we have an audio Bible club today, at, uh, not today, Thursday at 11.30 a.m. If you can make it, I just encourage you to try it out. I think you'd be pretty um, impacted by it, all right? Uh, just check it out and just check, out, check it off and say, I'm going to be there. Um, I'm interested in getting baptized on November 18th. If you've never been baptized in water, you realize that part of being filled with the Holy Spirit is that you've taken that step. And so please make sure, make sure you sign up this week and one of our pastors will connect with you. There is actually a class that you'll have to take and that's great because then you can kind of learn things and, and ask questions if you have it. So please make sure you check that off. Uh, fourth, please sign me up for the four-week confirmation class starting on October 18th at 6.30 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. at our church office. I highly encourage you guys to sign up for that. 
um, if you're interested. And then next week, uh, boy, one of the most famous passages of Acts, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Read it, listen to it, and come. All right, and come and be ready to hear that word being unpacked for you.